Griffin, buckle in, because this is going to be a long one. It's time to stop overrating Allen Iverson. And I know we don't do hot takes on this podcast, so I have prepared a multi-part presentation for you that I hope will, will help to remove all doubt for you. Some people think Allen Iverson is the greatest thing to ever happen to basketball. Some people think he was a terrible player. And normally, of course, since even though we don't hedge on HFLC, but I think we tend to be reasonableists. We tend to put ourselves somewhere in the middle. But I really do think Allen Iverson might be one of the most overrated superstars, quote-unquote superstars, in league history. The argument for his greatness is primarily predicated on three things. I'm going to take it point by point. First being his scoring. Obviously, he was a great scorer. I believe four scoring titles, multiple seasons, over 25 points a game, over 30 points a game. Since the three-point line was instituted in 1980, there have been four seasons where a player scored over 25 points a game with a true shooting percentage of under 500, which is not even league average. That's probably the bare minimum you would expect, even from a volume scoring guard like Iverson. Four seasons, over 25 points, under 500 true shooting. All four of them belong to Allen Iverson. Even in an era, the early 2000s, when inefficient volume scoring was the norm, he lapped the rest of the field. The second point for Iverson is that he went to the 2001 NBA Finals. Forget the fact that he lost in five games to the LA Lakers because, for some reason, just getting to the finals is enough for Iverson. It's not enough for other players, but it's enough for him. Here are the teams he beat in the 2001 playoffs in the Eastern Conference. In the first round, he took on the Pacers, who were 41-41. and In the second round, he took on the Raptors, who were 47-35. and And in the Eastern Conference Finals, he played the 52-30 and Milwaukee Bucks. Just think about that. Imagine coming out of the Western Conference now. Imagine that the best team you played was the 52-30 and 30 Milwaukee Bucks. Not the Phoenix Suns, not the Golden State Warriors. All you have to do is beat the Milwaukee Bucks. That's what Iverson was presented with. And he went to seven games against those Bucks, and he went to seven games against the Raptors as well. He was one Vince Carter three. Speaking of players who had a very weak sporting cast, he was one three away from being knocked out in the second round, and truly nobody would ever talk about Allen Iverson as one of the greats if he had only second round exits for his career. And that's what he would have because he never made it past the second round for the rest of his career. Now, credit where credit is due, I want to cover all my bases here. He had 44 points in Game 7 against Milwaukee. He had 41 points in Game 1 against the Lakers. You know, one of the all-time great finals performances. He stepped over Ty Lue, we all remember. But if a couple of great playoff games was enough to cement you as one of the 50-odd greatest players ever, Luka Doncic would be polishing his... I believe they're like navy jackets <laughs> with a diamond patch. <laughs> but the biggest argument that people trot out in Iverson's favor is not just that he made the finals, but that he did so with a bunch of scrubs on his team, a bunch of terrible players, no good Knicks. And as we've already discussed, coming out of that Eastern Conference is hardly something to celebrate. You don't hear people talking about, too much at least, about how Jason Kidd led the Nets to two straight finals in the two following years after Iverson. In a crucial Game 5 against Milwaukee, Eastern Conference Finals was tied 2-2. Two, two. 
Iverson had 15 points on 5 of 27 shooting. Absolutely putrid. The Sixers won that game by a single point because the the Sixers' defense held the Bucks to 88 points. You can say he was the guy who deserved to have the ball in his hands. You can say he was the only offensive star on the team. But are you really telling me that if he passed to Eric Snow or Dikembe Mutombo, that they would be shooting under 19% from the field with the shots that they took? I mean, they weren't great players. I will give them that. At least offensive players, at the very least. But 19% in a Eastern Conference Finals game. That was... That season, the 2001 season, was the only time the Sixers were better than the 21st ranked team in the NBA offensively. They were a bottom 10 defense with Allen Iverson, except for that one year, whereas their defense was consistently top 5 for the three preceding years and the following year, and 2001, of course. They traded for Dikembe Mutombo. He was the defensive player of the year. You can say Iverson was a great defender in his own right. He got a lot of steals. But a six foot zero point guard is never going to be the first line of defense in an NBA defense, even if it's Chris Paul. And Allen Iverson is no Chris Paul. This was a team that was, by and large, carried by its defense. Iverson took a lot of shots because he had to. And it's true there weren't any great offensive options beside him. But you cannot convince me that they were so bad offensively that they collectively would be shooting as badly as a team as Iverson shot by himself. Now, am I overinvested in this? Has this rant gone on far too long? Certainly. But only because the myth that Iverson was one of the all-time top-of-the-mountain greats needs to die. He was an inefficient volume scorer. He was not, I feel comfortable in saying, he was not an elite player in any other category of the game. He was a, a fine playmaker. He was a fine, maybe even a good defender. He was a very good player. At the time when the league was looking for the next Jordan, when they were maybe a little short on stars, he was certainly a cultural icon. He certainly brought millions of fans to the NBA, especially young fans. He's an incredibly enjoyable player to watch highlight reels of and you know watch his top 10 moments, but it's time to stop overrating him. And you know what? Let's replace Allen Iverson in the NBA Hall of Fame with this episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Wow, Chris, my hat off to you for that rant. That was truly something to behold. I have a theory that that rant is the entire reason you started a podcast in the first place was to eventually get there. That was your maybe the defining moment of your sports journalism <laughs> career so far. I hope that's not the case. So uh, far, well, so far. Okay, so far, so far. Well, you know, it. I felt like it needed to be said. It was on my heart. I wanted to get it out to the people, and hopefully people will, you know, as Kyrie Irving would say, do your own research. <laughs> oh, good. You're really appealing to the people now. <laughs> well, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. My name's Griffin. This is Chris. Uh, we're so glad you joined us today. Um, we've got a lot of great stuff to get to. We already got to some great stuff with that great rant. Definitely, most of the times our rants will take up like a paragraph on the Google Doc. Chris is coming up on a page and a half. But you know, Chris, I, 
I want to come to you. We're going to get into, you know, how every episode we say hello, we greet our viewers, we talk about like a couple little casual things off the top, really let our personality shine through. Mm-hmm. I thought we could call this segment uh, from now on the the high floor, low ceiling intangibles. Mm, like, you know how that's a sports thing? Intangibles, yeah, but it's like these are a, just like that's not huge things. Term. No, they're not huge things. But, you know, like you have a little fun. We, you know, well, we save movie talk for after the break usually, yeah. but yeah. We check in. We see how everyone's doing. There's a lot going on in the sports world. It feels like, I mean, the MLB lockout is over, Griffin. I feel like we should maybe mention that right off the top. And I know we're going to talk more about what that means specifically for a, a certain team mm. in the American League. But but we haven't recorded since that ended, which is just great news for all baseball fans. Yeah, we're very happy to hear that. Uh, of course, it is great news for baseball fans, I think. Now we can talk about it because I wanted to talk about how I couldn't talk about it, so now we can. But aside from that, Chris, there are a couple things I want to get to. Of course, we are recording this today. March Madness has begun. The first two games are underway. I just want to qu- quickly check with you. I was filling out a bracket last night, and it occurred to me that I have a couple bracket rules. Number one that I try to always follow is never put all four one seeds in your final four. That's a lame bracket. And uh, number two that I always try and follow is you always got to have at least one double-digit seed make the Sweet 16. I want to know what you thought of those bracket rules. I think those are definitely good rules. Let me just look at my bracket because I felt, yeah, I feel like it is extremely vibes-based. You definitely want to have, I think, one region. So I have one region, the South region in this tournament, where I have... The chalk one, two, three, four seeds all making it out. And then, you know, I have an 11 seed Virginia Tech I have in the Sweet 16. Okay. South Dakota State. That's my. Uh, the Jackrabbits. My big Hail Mary. I think that they will make a deep run. But yeah, I think definitely staying away from the ones and twos. But also, it's hard because, you know, you have to balance the. Yeah, you still want to do well. Yeah, and, and, you know, certainly one one or two seed is going to get eliminated much earlier than they should, but it's very hard to predict what <laughs> those are, one? which I guess is why this March Madness thing is a little harder than uh, it might appear to be. I guess, yeah. I, I feel like this year I've got the perfect bracket, though. I know that it's mathematically impossible, but I'm feeling good about this one. Well, you win like a million dollars or whatever, so... A billion, I think. I think. Oh, apparently that's now only open to Warren Buffett's employees. Uh, I guess he was getting nervous. He could he could sense yeah. that I was closing in. <laughs> he had his eye on you. Well, yeah. uh, hopefully that does come. To, uh, then at least you get a million. You know, if you can't get the Billy, then yeah, at least you'll get you'll give me fair. a million. Yeah, sure. I'll Thank make that you. promise. Okay, I think we can, right. I think I can scrounge up the cash. <laughs> a couple quick things we want we want to get. I wanted to get to before we get into the proper discussion here, Chris. Uh, you there was quite a. Sh- on social media yesterday after Zach Greinke <laughs> signed a one-year contract with the Kansas City Royals because way back in November when we were discussing this free agent pitching class, you successfully predicted that. So uh, we got one. I'm, I'm claiming that as a it, podcast victory. Put it on the board. Put That's it on the board. That's the point for me, I believe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think that if you go and watch the video that is on Twitter and Instagram, you will see my reasoning and i do think that that is what the kansas city royals were thinking that they wanted but you know obviously there was that connection there grinky of course having his his start on the royals uh 
and I think that you know they they wanted a stabilizer. It's a one year deal. It's thirteen million dollars, which we said you know sort of the low end of the high end starters, and I think uh, thirteen million sort of fits into that mold. And so I think uh, I think it's a solid signing for them, and I hopefully the Royals you know not maybe not make some noise, but do something this year. Yeah, well, I was going to say it's nice for Grinky, a guy who doesn't really like the spotlight or talking to the media or anything like that, because he's never going to be in the spotlight again. So I'm sure he well, loves he might, that. Uh, he could be like sitting on uh, at the 50-yard line at a Chiefs game, and then he'll get some attention on him. <laughs> get, get on the Jumbotron. Exactly. Uh, one other thing, Chris. One project that I gave myself this week, uh, I watched... What many consider to be the greatest darts game ever played. I watched an expanded highlight reel, a 40-minute highlight reel of Phil Taylor losing. Oh, he lost to a man who's... Talk about unprecedented. Yeah, that was... He was a 13-time world champion at the time. So, (laughs) uh, I mean, there was still obviously a couple more to come for the great Phil Taylor, but... Sure. Yeah, him going up against... His opponent, who was a Dutchman, <laughs> it was just his opponent. It's hard to remember Raymond now. Raymond van Barneveld, mm, also known as Dartsman's Barney. Name. Yes, Barney, so sure. and I was just blown away by the fact that I knew who won, but still, like when one of those guys would hit a triple. 60 a 180 like as soon as the third dart hit the thing i would go like yeah like i was very into darts i feel like it's a sport that lends itself it's very suspenseful and like when you see the dart hit the board in the right place it's a rush like very little that i've ever experienced in sports so i'm definitely going to be checking out more darts i like that just want to let the public know that the great phil taylor the unprecedented 79 pdc major champion uh he's been watched I now yes. I now know what I'm he talking lives about. Up to the hype, he lives up to the hype. He didn't look like what I thought he would look like. Yeah, um, I I mean, you've heard of Portugal the man's hit song "Feel It Still," of course. But when you were but when you were watching that game, you must have been cheering "Steal It, Phil." I really thought that <laughs> Phil would go back in time. And one last quick thing, one last quick intangible I want to get to, Chris. Uh, last week we had your father as our follower of the week on Instagram. <laughs> I think that news may have spread through your household because we have a new follower of the week this week. I do not know if this person is related to you. Uh, However, our follower of the week this week is Susan Housenjan, a big... You're sure it's not Sharon Housenjan? It is Sharon (laughs) Housenjan. I even checked before the show and then I had to wait half an hour for you to write your rant. And so, Chris, is this a relative of yours? Well, first of all, let me just say, Griffin, that is just a classic bit of uh, bit of Griffinism there. Where as soon as I <laughs> indicated that you were not correct, you immediately <laughs> shifted on the defensive, threw the blame onto me for taking too long to write my rant. And it's true, we did start about an hour after we were planning to because I was writing my giant rant. But but no, I should have written down the name. I should have written down the name. That's on me. <laughs> that's you're right to call that's me. All out. right. That's all right. Uh, yes, Griffin, I did not know about this, but we are proud to welcome both of my parents to the HFLC fold, my mother and my father now. So thank you to them for following. Always nice to meet a fan. Uh, 
hopefully we can get in touch on social media sometime soon. Actually, I don't want to make that pledge even in jest. I don't. I do not want to be involved in that. But what but, I'm uh, curious about is last week Kang House and Jan was our follower of the week. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Sharon House and Jan heard that Kang House and Jan was our follower of the week and like? Was that like a thing where she was like, I don't want him to be follower of the week and uh-huh. I haven't been follower of the week. Do you think uh-huh. she, that she followed with the goal of being follower of the week and matching your father? Or do you think she followed because she loves the content? See, that's a great question. I think that the odds that she listened to that episode of our podcast <laughs> is very low. <laughs> Much like the Just like you. of... <laughs> Yes, the house, the famous House of Jan trait of not listening to High Floorless Ceiling uh, remains strong. I imagine she went on Instagram once per month. Does she? Well, maybe she uses Instagram more than I think. But I do no, I do not think that she was trying to usurp my father as follower of the week. They are both wonderful followers in my eyes and wonderful leaders as well for my childhood. Wow. wow. That's very true. Well, no, I don't know how much your uh, mother uses Instagram. Your father has lots of photos on there. Your mother, just the one, a lovely picture of a woman who I assume is her, but I have not met her. But uh, if it is her, she's lovely. Um, I'll try and confirm that intel for you. Yes, please do. Um, but that were all. That was all the intangibles I wanted to get through, Chris. And we should get into a real segment here. And, mm-hmm. of course, baseball is back and better than ever. Maybe, probably not. Um, <laughs> probably largely the same. But, yeah. You know. uh, hey, we're gonna have the bigger bases in 2023, so that could change the whole game. More steals. Excite- and exciting for uh, fans of symphony orchestras. Mm, yes, a, <laughs> a more grandiose sound. Nice. That was a bass. That was a bass. That was an excellent bass. Can we get a cello? Uh, a cello's like. That that was an excellent cello as well. <laughs> You've clearly spent a lot of time. I wasn't expecting a good the, cello. The proper tone for for the larger string instruments. Yeah, one thing you may not know about me, Chris, is I did play a string instrument for eight years from wow. primary school all through high school. I played the viola. Wow, so bougie. Yeah, well, I liked the idea of being, like, a supporting player. Like, the violins yes. get the melody, and the violas come in with the harmony and just, like, amplify the whole thing. I always thought that was cool to me. It's like it's like if I was in baseball, I would want to be a closer, you know? I like being a specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, are you in... I know you love to play Overwatch. Are you a support player in Overwatch? No, I am a tank player in Overwatch. Mm. So still not a DPS, which is definitely yeah, the violin... A- Still a supportive role, certainly. Yeah, but the second, the the mid tier ter- in terms of flashiness. Um, right. But yes, baseball mm-hmm. is back, <laughs> baby. <laughs> and we have, I guess we'll start with our hometown team. You, you know, we like to say we're not a Toronto podcast, but we do. I would say talk about Toronto teams more than any team aside from the New Orleans Saints. Um, <laughs> we talk about a weird amount. <laughs> Every time we sure, do a sure, game, sure. the Saints come up. But um, the they Toronto... Are the, they are the most real or fake team in the NFL, it's true. I must say. It's true. They are the the, the real or fake team. A uh, yeah. little spoiler for after the break. Yeah. Ooh, but teaser, teaser yeah. Te- 
people can read the episode description, I will say. <laughs> no. People click on it blind. Mm-hmm. Um, is that what you do instead of listening to the podcast? You just read the episode description and think, hey, I got the gist. Um, well, usually I write the episode description. So. <laughs> half the time. Half the time. <laughs> sure. We split that. Split that duty. Um, but yes, just moments ago, Chris, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. sending Blue Jays Twitter into a frenzy. This mm-hmm. quote comes to us courtesy of friend of the show, Shai Davidi. He's never been on the show, but uh, you and I both do know Shai, so I'm going to call him a friend of the show, and there's no way sure. he's ever going to hear this to call me out on it. That's so, correct. Um, Vladimir Guerrero, moments ago, per Shai Davidi, last year was the trailer, referring to the 2021 Toronto Blue Jays. Now you guys are going to see the movie. The Blue Jays are a young, fun, and confident group, and I think that's the best thing about this team. Don't you? I do. I'm surprised we're getting into movie talk this early in the episode. <laughs> um, I, When you brought this up, I was thinking, what movie do we expect the Blue Jays season to be? I know that's putting our, ourselves on the spot a little bit. Uh, yeah, so a movie with a, a pretty good trailer, but then a great movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean. So we're not talking Watchmen here. Sure, is that a great trailer and a, a great trailer and a bad movie? Wow, a bad movie. Not a bad movie, but a letdown of a movie compared to how cool the trailer was. Um, I will say, I have not seen the film. Watchmen? I have not. You, you do a, a whole podcast on comic books. Is is it going to be part of your Morch? I was going to say it is a contender for Morch because Alan Moore uh, was the writer. Not no, I've certainly read Watchmen, but right. have not seen the film. Um, the movie that, what, okay, what about this? The movie that the Blue Jays are going to be is Jaws, because right now everyone is just looking at the surface. They see the New York Yankees just re-sign Anthony Rizzo. They see the Boston Red Sox have a bunch of players who aren't (laughs) vaccinated. That's the main thing that they're hearing about them right now. But people are saying the, you know, the Yankees. The Red Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, who were in the running for Freddie Freeman. Very exciting. <laughs> What's that? Deep under the water with their big teeth and big bats. Nice. The Toronto Blue Jays. And I think that they're going to put director Charlie Montoya. <laughs> really going to establish him as one of the great blockbuster filmmakers. <laughs> The metaphor falls apart a little bit, but you yeah, I was gonna say Charlie Montoya feels like an indie filmmaker who like can't hold up a big budget movie. Like to use an actual sports analogy, I think Charlie Montoya is the Blue Jays' Dwayne Casey, and eventually they're gonna have to wow. find a Nick Nurse. Wow! But anyway, uh, for a movie, I'm gonna go with something. Blue Jays are a young team; they're fun. They're gonna like make highlight reels, so I want a cool movie with like action and. Uh, something that you really enjoy and you walk out of the theater going great. So I'm going to say that uh, the Blue Jays are the Kingsman movies. Mm, those The Secret Service. Yes, exactly. Those uh, fun action movies starring the great Taron Edgerton. Love him. I haven't seen the what? new one slash the old one yet. Uh-huh. But, uh, cool. uh Yeah, I have seen that film. I, uh, yeah. I've seen it. That's what there I. There you go. <laughs> That's what I will say about that movie. Which but the is, first two uh, are great. Sure, I have not seen the second one actually. Weirdly. Oh, it's good. It's not as good as the I, first, but it's still good. Okay. 
Channing Tatum, of course. We love him. Have you seen yes. Dog yet, Griffin? Dog. No, that movie looked like uh, something that a suburban like, mom would see. Looks so like I dog water to you? Uh, a quality film. I mean, you know, it's it's Channing Tatum, his directorial debut. Oh, really? Well, I'm just yeah. glad he's back. He was gone for a while. Yeah, he's watching a dog. It's good stuff. Nice. Uh, Blue Jays. should have known better than to throw that movie quote in there that was just supposed to be like a setup for the segment right 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 right. of of course the big news in blue jays land is a big trade going down the yes the other day the blue jays acquire all-star third baseman matt chapman from the oakland athletics they give up their number four prospect in gunner hogland another top 10 prospect in kevin smith and two other prospects to bring in the chapman uh, so first of all, Chris, what do you think of Matt Chapman's fit with the Blue Jays? Well, first of all, Gunnar Hogland. <laughs> <laughs> what a name. What a name. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because you mentioned those prospects going back. I was I was late to the news. I did not see the news until a couple of hours after it already broke in. And I never, I mean, obviously, if you're the team that's sending prospects and getting back an all-star player. Usually you're going to hear more about the all-star than you are about the prospects. But like, truly, I did not hear anything about anyone, you know, sending prospects, giving guys up that, you know, that this was in any way like a mortgaging of the future to some degree. And I think that's just because like people were so delighted <laughs> to get Matt Chapman. And I think particularly when you look at the contract that Chris Bryant signed, with the Rockies inexplicably, and maybe maybe we will talk about that later. But I think when you look at that contract, and that's the kind of value that you're going to be giving up in terms of dollar amount, that the Chapman trade is a more than good deal. I mean, he they wanted to fill in an infielder. That much was certain. It ended up being third base. They may not be done. We can talk about that as well. Uh but but the fit is certainly good. I mean, bringing defense to the infield, he did have a bit of a down year from a hitting perspective last year, but certainly an extremely proven defensive player and, and potential to be a really strong offensive one as well. I think it's a great fit. Yeah, I'm with you there. I absolutely love the fit. As you mentioned, he's won the Platinum Glove in the American League, which is uh, the best defender in the league. He might be the best defensive baseball player on the planet. Like And at mm-hmm. third base, and I saw... Last year, Toronto Blue Jays pitchers led the major leagues in ground balls hit to third base. Did you know that, Chris? And first in the entire, first in all of baseball in grounders to third base was Hyunjin Ryu, and then in the top ten as well was Yusei Kikuchi, who we will mention later. So Blue Jays clearly identified that as an area of where they wanted to get a good defender because they've got. Uh, pitchers who do that so they were like what if we just got the best defender in the entire world who happens to play that position and then yeah like you mentioned a bit of a down year from the batting average point of view but his on-base percentage is still reasonably high he sees more last year he led major league baseball in pitches per at bat like he takes a lot of pitches he walks a lot and he hit 27 home runs in playing in oakland in the american league west which is definitely going to translate to the sky dome and the american league east so I think that the fit is perfect. The Blue Jays didn't need a huge offensive superstar. It would have been nice to get one like Freddie Freeman. 
But certainly if Matt Chapman's batting like seventh in your lineup, which he just might be, and bringing that best in the world defense, like this is a phenomenal fit. And the Blue Jays didn't even have to touch their top three prospects to get him. That trio sort of of Arelvis Martinez, Jordan Groshans, and of course, Gabriel Moreno. So yeah, I absolutely love this. But as you mentioned, Chris, there was a report from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic that even after the Chapman trade, the Blue Jays were still talking to the Cleveland Guardians about Jose Ramirez as a potential second baseman. And that would just be a truly, (laughs) truly just like balls to the wall. We are trying to win the World Series in 2022, and we don't care what happens after type of move. I I think that's unlikely, but because you didn't have to touch your top three prospects in this Chapman deal, it's on the table. Yeah, I think it absolutely is on the table. It's kind of surprising how on the table it is, maybe. Um, And, you know, it, it is... It is an all-in move to some extent, but I mean, I do think that this is a team that can, you know, if if you look at Jose Ramirez and acquiring him as giving yourself sort of like two bites of the apple, then I think that that is a reasonable risk to take. I mean, you look at their roster, we've already talked about how they're quite loaded. I mean, people talk about Kevin Biggio, that's the big question mark, right? Is, is Kevin Biggio like their locked-in, everyday second baseman? And I think that it's like, a, I'm feeling like a soft yes right now. But if you were going to upgrade an, a spot, especially, you know, they've talked constantly about stocking up that the infield. And so if, certainly Jose Ramirez would be the way to go if you wanted to stock up the infield. So do you, how do you feel about Cavabigio? Are you feeling like he is a day-to-day starter on a title contender or do you think that it is worthwhile to to make that move? Uh, well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like when it comes to getting Jose Ramirez, obviously he's going to be an upgrade over almost anyone. He's one of the best players in all of baseball. But if you just quickly run down the Blue Jays lineup in your head, it's like, is that the best use of your assets? Like, sure, Kevin Biggio is streaky with the bat. He's very patient. But he doesn't hit for a super high average. And at the right now, I think at second base, the Blue Jays are probably thinking about a Biggio-Santiago-Espinal platoon where Biggio gets the start against righties and Espinal against lefties. And if that's your number eight spot in the lineup and Biggio plays salt, they both play good second base defense. And Danny Jansen, I assume, is your starting catcher and bats ninth. Like, I mean... I don't think that you need a Jose Ramirez. It would be great to have one. You wouldn't say no if Cleveland didn't ask for uh, Gabriel Moreno, because I think he is an off-the-table prospect. But if they said, hey, we'll take him for Alejandro Kirk and Arelvis Martinez and Jordan Groshans, I'd I'd take that. But, um, But I don't think that this is a move that the Blue Jays have to make. If they go into the opening day with their outfielders being Lourdes Gurriel Jr., George Springer, and Teoscar Hernandez with Grichuk in there as a fourth. Then their infielders being Matt Chapman, Bo Bichette, Biggio, and Vladdy. And then a great, great starting pitching rotation and Danny Jansen catching. Like, that's an elite lineup. That might be the best lineup in the American League already. So I don't think Jose Ramirez would put you in the best lineup in baseball conversation with the Dodgers. Sure, but do you need it? No. Yeah, and maybe that's uh we can we can talk about the pitching rotation in a second. The other thing about Ramirez I think as well that makes him particularly desirable is the cost control. I think he's at like 14 million 
this year and next more or less like he's in that 10 to 15 million range so definitely i think you know when you look at the kind of contracts that are being sent out when you look at you know what carlos correa is probably going to sign then getting that elite second baseman while also not breaking the bank when you have made some some solid investments already in the in free agency i think that that is another point of you know that they would be interested in him but let's talk about the rotation because you know I, is that the other place that they would look to go, do you think? Because obviously, signing Yusei Kikuchi does shore up that rotation. I mean, their the rotation suddenly looks, like, really compelling. I mean, there's not a top-end ace, you could say, but Ryu, Barrios, Gaussman, or Gosman. I believe Mitch uh, Bannon said Gosman. I think he, he did. There was a moment in the podcast where I think we introed it and said Gaussman, and then Mitch started talking and said Gosman, and we were like, yes, Gosman. Kevin, Alec Manoa, and now Kikuchi, who, you know, I think he does fill in that fifth starter role. I think at $12 a year, he's being paid like a fifth starter. But if they were to make an upgrade, do you think that starting pitching would maybe be the direction that they would go even though they have they do seem to be committed to this five man rotation which does look quite promising i mean yeah that's a good question i feel like if i was the jays i think you're set for starting pitching like you said there isn't a true ace but you've got basically four guys in there who all i think have a decent potential to emerge as an ace whether it's manoa taking a next step brios uh gaussman gosman was was an ace in San Francisco, so if he can recapture that, which the Blue Jays obviously think he can, or even Hyunjin Ryu, who had a bit of a down year last year, but has been a Cy Young finalist, has been an ERA champion, and now we know a grounder ne- to third base will never be a hit against oh. him again. Okay. So I, I think Ryu's a big bounce-back candidate this year. I love him. Uh, and then Yusei Kikuchi, who very much profiles the same way that Robbie Ray did in that he's a hard-throwing lefty who strikes a lot of guys out and comes to the Blue Jays with flaws. He gives up a lot of hard contact. But if the Blue Jays can work on him, maybe maybe Steven Matz is a better comparison than Robbie Ray. But sure. I think he, yeah, is absolutely, when he's good, he pitches like a number two or three starter. So to have him as your number five is great. And then when guys get hurt, because guys always do, you've got Ross Stripling and you've got Nate Pearson waiting in the wings. So maybe like a depth guy who could start the season in Buffalo and you're confident in him if you need him. But I think the Blue Jays are set for starting pitching. I think one or two more bullpen arms might be nice. But even then, I think this is basically the roster that the Blue Jays are going to rock and roll with. And I could very easy, easily see it making a deep playoff run. Yeah, I mean... You, you, I'm just sort of scrolling through the depth chart right now, and it is like there's not a lot of holes in this lineup. Certainly, we know that the offense has been there, and I think, um, you know, we were, we, I think we were a little apprehensive, especially after the Marcus Semyon, you know, to the Rangers came out. That was obviously a big blow for them to lose, to lose him, uh, and to lose Robbie Ray as well on top of that. But I think that the Blue Jays have done a very, very good job in terms of shoring up their weaknesses the gosman and kikuchi i think is the were the perfect moves to shore up the rotation and obviously we we know that the the heading lineup will will be there yeah like like we said at the time i think they basically had the choice between gosman and robbie ray and they chose kevin gosman and i have a lot of faith in this front office so if they think that was the right 
move. They've been brilliant the last couple of years for the most part, so I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I still got my fingers crossed for Nate Pearson. I'm hoping if he gets a chance in the rotation, this is a make-or-break year for him, and I'm hoping he makes it. But yeah, this Blue Jays team is good and ready, uh, just like I am for a break, Chris. Wow, that's that was very me-esque of you, Griffin. Uh, but yes, we will head to a break, and we'll be right back with more high floor, low ceiling. And welcome back to high floor, low ceiling. Ooh, that was like a little musical. One bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. Uh, speaking of beverages, just because you know it's not. It's not movie time yet. We haven't crossed over into a new month, so nothing major to report on the movie front for me. I did watch Disaster Movie, Solid Flight. Oh, good. <laughs> but I, I thought I would do a quick beverage review. I have here, Griffin. You can't quite see it because I've got a virtual background. But I have some Mountain Dew Flash. Wow. Baja Flash. I'm not sure if it has any kind of special... Is uh, that different from a Baja Blast? It is. It has pineapple flavoring. Ooh. Uh, I'm a big fan of the pineapple flavor. How, how do you feel about like the, the artificial pineapple? I, I, I'm not against artificial pineapple. I'll mess with an, art, an artificial pineapple. Have you ever had a Fanta pineapple? I don't believe I have. I stick to orange Fanta, generally. Sure, sure, sure. You gotta, I mean, this is maybe a segment from my other podcast, Bevy of Bevies, the podcast <laughs> about consumable liquid, which is coming soon. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> Do you have a co-host for that one? Yes, my good friend Colin Ashley. We'll treat that as a teaser. Everyone All look right. out for Bevy yeah, and keep, keep your eye peeled. Uh, we've already recorded some episodes. The Iced Americano episode we've recorded is really solid. That sounds like a fun <laughs> podcast. I'm going to check this out. Unless It's not like three hours each, is it? Griffin, the podcast is 20 minutes max. That is perfect. I can't it's wait a- to listen to this podcast. That might be the biggest stroke of genius in the genesis of Bevy Bevy. So yes, look out for that. A uh, quick uh, bit of cross-promotion there. But more importantly than any beverage is... Well, actually, the most important thing in, in any beverage, perhaps, is whether the flavoring oh. is real or fake, Griffin. Whether, have, <laughs> whether it's natural or artificial. It's uh, back! It's back. We're going to do that. Uh, we're going to play some real or fake with some NBA teams. We're going to take our talents to the Western Conference, uh, where, you know, obviously the Suns are sort of running away with the whole league right now. Obviously, we'll see what happens when it comes to the playoffs. You have expressed some doubts, I will say. Uh, but we will basically be looking at the Western Conference, not in the play-in teams that aren't the Suns, which is... A very convoluted way to describe it, perhaps. Right. Well, just to my son's doubts, not only do they not have a top five player in the league, do they have a top ten player in the league? No. Well, no. no. Can no, you win? No. Can you win? The, maybe you can win the championship without a top ten player in the league, but I don't know. In today's NBA, I don't know. Anyway. It certainly has not happened since the 2014 Spurs, I think it's fair to say. And even then, Kawhi? Probably not no. at that point. In 2014, no, no, no. No, not yet. But you're right, anyways, you're right. They, were, uh, they are definitely an exception rather than the rule. But I, I see your point, for sure. But, but funnily enough, uh, I sorry, would say all four of the teams we're going to talk about today do have a top 10 player in the NBA. Wow, that's a, that's a bold statement, and people will see why shortly. But yes, yeah, so 
They're talking about teams that are in the play-in, so no Lakers, who are just in the doghouse right now. 29 and 40. Every time you look, their record gets worse. It's they it's mind-boggling. I don't understand how it's happening. Anyway, they're, I mean, I guess it's bad. just like, yeah, everyone else on the team is terrible. LeBron is great, and everyone else on the team is awful. They're really bad. Um, and, of course, as well, the, what are they, the fourth seed? The fourth seeded Utah Jazz are in the HFLC freezer, as previously Boom. discussed. Clink. Lock them up. Throw away the key. Yeah, you love to chant lock them up, don't you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You which leaves me. us... Which leaves us with four teams, uh, and we'll start at the top, because there's a, a new two-seed in town. They are 48-22. and 22. They are the fifth-ranked offense and the seventh-ranked defense, Griffin. They are elite offensively and defensively. Your Memphis Grizzlies. How did we get here, Griffin? Uh, John Morant is how we got here for lack of a willingness to go in more depth. No, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he is where the conversation starts and ends with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, so real or fake is an interesting question when it comes to Memphis, because I think that this is regular season real. Like, And whether or not you think regular season real does mean real is up to you. But the the Grizzlies this year have been fantastic. Uh, and John Morant has been a superstar for them, and he's talking about getting like fringe mvp consideration so so i mean let's start there because you you talked about the grizzlies and you know the all the teams by extension the grizzlies having top 10 players do you feel like john Morant has made that that leap he's at 27 and a half points six rebounds seven assists he's you know shooting the ball at solid levels for a guard he certainly seems to be an offensive engine I, I think, you know, I think people have started talking about him as, like, the next great guard of the future and that he's going to be around for a while like this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's there's a difference between being a top 10 player in the NBA and being a top 10 player in the NBA this season. Like, Anthony Davis is probably a top 10 player in the NBA, but I wouldn't put him in the top 10 this year. So I do think that this season, John Morant has been a top 10 player in the NBA. And, yeah, he's so good, so young. And I really do think that now, nowadays, like, players come out of the draft and they are good faster than they used to be, you know? Like, you can make more of an impact as a, what is he, in his third year now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and he's blossomed into a superstar. So I think this is the start of a long and great career for John Morant. But with that being said, this feels like the year where he and his Grizzlies, who are young, uh, they learn about the NBA playoffs, and maybe they, I mean, but if they have to play the Lakers in the first round. Oh, please, <laughs> you can't talk about the Lakers. That's true, they're in the freezer as well, and also they might not make but the play-in. Um, they really might not. They are, they are one game, they're, they're almost the 10th seed now, and they are only three games ahead of San Antonio right now. Jeez. Okay, back in the freezer. There's a okay, back in the freezer. Back in the freezer. <laughs> back in the freezer. <laughs> but yes, uh, I think that the Grizzlies might win a first round. I think they probably won't make it out of the second because this is the year where they learn what the playoffs are like, and then next year they really become championship contenders. So for now, I'm gonna say fake playoff fake for the Grizzlies, sure. but with all due respect, like it's not a dismissive fake. Right. 
Yeah, the thing is, you know, you you mentioned that the conversation begins and ends with John Morant, but another thing that people have been talking about is they have this great record without John Morant. They're thirteen and two without John Morant, which and obviously, you know, trade John Morant. It's a lot of noise, a lot of variance that goes into these things, obviously. But I think that that sort of reinforces the idea that, at the very least for the regular season, like you were saying, that their underlying basis is strong, that they're not just a team that has been riding a superstar, riding a hot streak, things like that. You know, they they had role players who were contributors, great contributors last year. Dylan Brooks, uh, DeAnthony Melton, I think is a very, like, one of the more underrated guards in the league. Uh, Kyle Anderson as well. None of those guys have had particularly great years. It's been more Ja and uh, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, and also what Steven Adams is bringing to their roster as well. And so I feel like they really have not hit their their high floor, high ceiling uh, <laughs> just yet. And I generally agree with you, Griffin. I think that there is almost always that first year when you when you're in the playoffs and you're happy to be there, and you maybe are not, you know, going to make a a conference finals or a finals run, the only thing that pushes me towards them maybe being realer than we might think is the Phoenix Suns, because they are very similar to the Phoenix Suns last year. Uh, They don't have a Chris Paul exactly, but they did, they were sort of on the come up last year, tons of good young players, and now they're the two seed, and I picked against Phoenix at every step, and they ended up in the finals. And that is the only thing that is making me question that old adage that I've always stuck to of, you have the one year where you're not as good, and then you make that second step. It's true, and they have a top 10 player in the NBA, which the Suns didn't even have last year. So, <laughs> sure, um, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, the Suns did sort of blow up the model a bit last year without Mm -hmm. that top 10 player and with that sort of okay great regular season team but they need a year kind of thing and yeah I think it does you are very right to have that doubt now in your mind after what we saw the Suns do last year but I don't know you gotta you gotta break the rule a couple times before you can establish a new rule I think sure Charlie XCX taught us that uh she has a song called break the rules oh uh I thought for sure you're gonna set up a Dua Lipa reference because oh yeah well she has new ones certainly yes let's press on though griffin to uh to the bottom end of our collection of teams this team is 42 and 28 still a very good team better than i expected the sixth seed in the western conference they are the seventh ranked offense they are the 14th ranked defense it's the denver nuggets who have been after a, a, a somewhat shaky start i seem to recall i'll have to look at their their wins and losses certainly. Yes, at one point they were nine and ten, and they had a, a six game losing streak early in the season. Have since recovered to be a solid playoff team, and once again, I, it seems just like a complete repeat of last year after Jamal Murray went down, where it's Jokic just leading this team. And I won't say dragging because I think they do have some solid role players, but leading this team to sort of punching above their weight. Yeah, he's my MVP again. Is he your MVP? I feel like you have to. I mean, like Joel Embiid, he's had a good year. They're now the two, the three seed because Milwaukee has passed them now. I think that the Harden thing took away some of his narrative that he was leading a team Doing by himself with no Ben yeah. Simmons. 
And so I do feel like he is maybe a little out of the race. If the Bucks finishes the two seed, then I think Giannis, you know, you can make the case that he's the two seed. Jokic might be the sixth seed, which is usually, you know, not yeah. conducive to an MVP. But like you but... look at the numbers that Jokic is putting up. Yeah, he is really, <laughs> he does, he puts <laughs> up like disgusting stat lines and you really just don't even bat an eye anymore. Like he puts up like 30 and 15 and 15. And you're just yeah. like, yep, that's just classic Jokic That's stuff. a Jokic game. Normal. With that yeah. being said, though, I mean, I talked on the podcast last week or the other week a bit about how I don't know how far you can get with your best player being a big man, especially because even if Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray do make it back for the playoffs, they're both going to have not played in a long, long time. Clearly, like through no fault of their own, are probably not going to be their normal like supporting level star selves. So I don't think that the Nuggets really have a deep run in them this year. I just hope that they can be healthy for next year and we can finally see what this team can do all together. So I'm going to call the Nuggets fake as well. Yeah, they are they're an interesting case. They're a really interesting case because obviously like you said, the the conversation has to come to are they going to have Murray and Porter and how much are those guys going to contribute? But if you look at their season last year after they traded for Aaron Gordon after the all-star break they were a really 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 good team and I feel yeah he's been great for them yeah very very strong and you know they've gotten contributions from Jeff Green who we talked about as like why doesn't why are people sleeping on this guy every year and once again he's sort of slaughtered in and given them the relief that they need uh and you know they've they brought in DeMarcus Cousins, and he is sort of filling like the like pseudo Jokic role for them, where <laughs> they sort of play around him in the same way that they would play around Jokic because of his scoring and passing abilities. But yeah, if there's one thing that makes me question them, you know, assuming that they get back a decent version of Murray and Porter, it is their defense because you know Aaron Gordon's great. They lost Paul Millsap, who maybe you know, sort of shored up some of that, those big man weaknesses. Jokic weirdly projects very well in defensive metrics, but, you know, he's certainly not a, tr- a rim protector in the traditional sense, although he has had some, some clutch blocks. But yeah, how do you, how do you feel about their defense? Do you feel like they're a team that can sort of stand up in the playoffs? They, you know, they, I feel like they have a lot of guys who are like, not sieves or sieves, but can't really be relied on to like lock down and get a stop yeah yeah I think that they're a good regular season defense I think obviously Aaron Gordon's gonna get the best opposing wing duty in the playoffs Jeff Green is a solid defender uh but and Jokic I mean has his moments in the post but probably not the strongest overall uh so yeah that's a big area of concern for me but Overall, I still think, I mean, it's funny because I looked, I've named these first two teams fake. I've looked at the next two couple teams. I'm not super high on them either, (laughs) which is the great thing about the NBA this year is that like, it's almost like no one seems like a real contender. So everyone is, but Mm -hmm. syndrome, syndrome, exactly. Incredibles. Um, Yeah. So I'm still going to say fake, but as, as good a chance as anyone else, I guess. Yeah, I think that they are of the, you know, of these four teams that we're going to talk about. I think I would have them as the fakest just because there are too many question marks. They're like, you know, 
in terms of top level talent, they're quite thin right now. And uh, again, you don't know what you're getting from Murray. You don't know what you're getting from Porter. So I think at the end of the day, that combination of factors just sort of sinks their chances. But let's go back up to the top to a team and a very interesting team, in my opinion. They're 47 and 23. They're the third seed. They're the 12th ranked offense and the second ranked defense, which did surprise me a little. Uh, they looked like the best team in the league at one point yeah. very early in the season. They have sort of tapered off into merely a very, very good team now. The Golden State Warriors, Griffin, they, I I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I did look at their roster at the start of the year and say, this might be a team that's being slept on as a Western Conference Finals contender. And now I think people would say that they're, you know, top two in terms of teams you would have going that far, right? Yeah, I mean, they've got Steph Curry, who still isn't having, like, started off white hot and has sort of cooled off a bit, but still, come on, Steph Curry. And I really like the supporting cast. Draymond, obviously a great player. Wiggins having an all-star starter level season. Uh, <laughs> no, but he has been good for them. <laughs> Uh, Jordan Poole's been really good uh, for the Warriors this year. I think what it comes down to, and I don't know whether or not they will do this or not, but I think you have to embrace the fact that Clay Thompson is different now. Mm. Through wow. no fault and of his own. Like the last time. No. Um, <laughs> like the last time Clay played basketball before he got that was before COVID started. Like, that's a crazy long amount of time to be out. To be out. And the fact that he had two separate devastating knee injuries, it's not his fault, but he's not the guy he once was. He There are flashes of it, and maybe he'll ramp his way back up. Like I said, he was out a very long time. But for right now, he's been bad. Like, Clay has not looked good. No, he had a, a very poor streak for a while. Uh, he had a, you know, a season-high game uh, quite recently. Uh, I'll have to look at the the uh the game in question here but yeah it does seem like they are sort of a team that has shifted from being the star power team the team that has like five all-stars to a team that is relying on their depth that is relying on jordan Poole and otto porter and even like gary payton the second and jonathan kuminga the rookie like it does seem like they're a team that is maybe relying more on depth than on their top line talent um so maybe i'll ask you this griffin do you still think that Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, that that is a top three that is a championship team? Uh, I mean, short answer, no, because wow. of my concerns about Clay Thompson. I think that if, I mean, I'm sure Steve Kerr knows it. Steve Kerr's no dummy, but there, it's too complicated in the NBA, the politics of it all. I think that the Warriors need to get Clay to somehow accept, and I don't know if you would accept this, that, I mean, Jordan Poole's just better than him right now. They need Jordan Poole to be a bigger part of that team. And if either Clay can continue to improve and get back to the player that he was or accept that smaller role, then I would believe in the Warriors more. But I think right now, like, Clay is so popular with that fan base and that team that it's sort of working against them right now because no one wants to admit that Clay is bad and like give him a reduced role and that's going to hurt them because he isn't himself. Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, how big of a believer are you in like 
playoff guys, guys who sort of elevate their game in the playoffs because Clay has typically been that player, even if he is, you know, slumping or somewhat mediocre in the regular season. Obviously, the big question mark for him right now seems to be his three-point shooting, which, you know, certainly could always regress to the mean, as you like to talk about, Griffin. Yeah. Uh, so how big of a believer are you that, like, well, you know, Clay Thompson, once he gets to the playoffs, he'll put it together. He always comes up big, that kind of thought process. In basketball, I do believe in it more than maybe in other sports like baseball. But um, in general, I think that Clay, we've only ever seen him play in the playoffs coming off a much higher floor, if you will. Like, we've never seen mm-hmm. him this bad before. So I don't know, like, where I previously would have thought if if he had just been slumping in the last couple months, then I would have thought, okay, Clay will show up for the playoffs like he always does because the Warriors always kind of take their foot off the gas before the playoffs, at least in those Kevin Durant days. Um, but now, like, I don't know, like, this would be the time to show everyone that you're back and you're still the same guy and you are still capable of taking it to that next level once we do get to the playoffs. So I think that Clay. I'm. I don't think we're gonna see it from him because I think if we were, we would be seeing a better version of Clay right now. Wow, strong stuff from Griffin. No hedging on high floor this year. No, I'm out and, on Clay Thompson. And you know, it's funny because I feel like the end of the season always does sneak up on us. There are only ten games left. That's for, crazy. We're you know we're seventy games in, so we're pretty much at the mark where there's ten games left in the regular season, and so it it makes sense to be looking at these guys and like saying this will be their playoff form uh so speaking of the end sneaking up on us chris we're running out of time here do you want to quickly do the mavs yes we're gonna jump to the mavs they're 43 and 26 they're the fifth seed they're the 18th ranked offense and the sixth ranked defense very strange turnaround for for them and for jason kidd griffin we were looking at the numbers right before we did this segment the Mavs are 27 and 8 in their last 35, which astounded me. 8 and 2 since the All-Star break. They made that controversial trade, sending away Kristaps Porzingis, getting some death pieces back, and that has been very successful for them. Spencer Dinwiddie was huge in their win last night. Um, what do you think about the Mavs? Do you do you trust them? Is this their year when they I finally mean, uh, get over the playoff series hump? Like we shouldn't trust them, but like it's it's the it's a great playoff equation. I call it the Dallas Double Ds. It's Doncic and defense. Like they have an mm-hmm. elite player in Luka Doncic, top five in the NBA, if not better, and they're playing really really good defense. It's surprising because like the personnel isn't necessarily there when you look at the roster on paper. But I mean, all credit to Jason Kidd, a, a hire that I did not think was good. He has instilled a very good defense in this team. And so I think that once you get to the playoffs, if you can play really good defense and have one superstar who can score whenever he wants, like that's a recipe for playoff success. So I think the Mavericks are real. I think they could very easily make a Western Conference Finals run here. Wow, that's that's definitely maybe cool. not very I mean, like, easily, but I think that's but, on the table for them. Yeah, and like you said, there it doesn't feel like there are a lot of strong contenders in the conference, so it is easy for a team like the Mavs, which have a superstar player to sort of slip into the mix here. I think I agree with you. I'm going to say real here. Uh, The defense is definitely a question mark. You know, like we've seen Jason Kidd teams before and they have, you know, not always performed up to snuff. They are the 30th ranked pace team, which surprised me. That could be uh, beneficial for the playoffs. 
But yeah, and and even trading Porzingis, I mean, he was so bad in the playoffs last year that that's almost an addition by subtraction situation. <laughs> you have Jalen Brunson, who's playing super well, sort of having his little breakout year that I think a lot of people expected out of him. And so if you take that combination of factors, if you're taking last year's team and the defense is better and it's other guys shooting the ball instead of Chris Porzingis and even Dorian Finney-Smith, who is solid, but definitely, I think, should have a reduced role on offense, more of a fourth or fifth guy, maybe. And then you're adding in Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, then that suddenly looks like a pretty potent team. And so I think uh, I think I have to agree with you, Griffin. I think this is the year that, at the very least, they win a playoff series. Although, if it's 4-5 with them in Utah, that would sort of be a couple of, I'd pick couple them. of freezer teams. I think I would agree with you, but it could be tough. I, I, I would be excited to see Rudy Gobert... Going get you know trying to protect the rim against Luka Doncic for a yeah that that would, that would be a great fun. series and those are sort of the two like other Western Conference teams the last few years are Utah and Dallas but anyway uh, some great NBA talk Chris you always bring the insightful analysis as always I love as hearing what you, you have to my, say my dear friend thank you oh that's so sweet one <laughs> thing we forgot to mention uh, Tom Brady unretired. oh yeah that happened this week but all right business as usual back to normal a, a big <laughs> eye roll from chris for the goat uh, i mean come on like <laughs> no that is e- super eye roll he didn't even last like a preseason you didn't have to retire is it? like he did <laughs> yeah he, he retired like... so early too and also you really would have stuck it to adam schefter if you just kept your mouth shut and didn't make that instagram post and then said i'm coming back baby you would have owned him and i feel like that's what you wanted to do and so why did you not just do that it's very yeah. silly um that's all the talk brady deserves but thank you all so much for listening i'm gonna i'm gonna try it chris uh Mm -hmm. please uh if you enjoyed this episode give us a a five-star review uh tell your friends about it um Mm -hmm. we really appreciate when you guys spread the word of high floor low ceiling and we really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Please give us a follow on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, at HFLC Podcast. We got some more great clips and content coming your way for you guys. So make sure to keep an eye on all of those. It's where you got the news that Chris successfully predicted the uh, Zach Granke signing. You can follow me at GriffinPorter97 on Twitter. And you can follow Chris House and Jan. Not at Chris House and Jan. You can follow chris at c house and jan chow sun jan if you will another big shout out to our follower of the week this week sharon house and jan um yeah did i get it all <laughs> you you did it you were really just on a roll there then maybe petered out a little bit at the end but i i think uh <laughs> i will i will take us home and say that thank you all for joining us and until next time keep your floors high and your ceilings low